This episode of Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by Hills. At Hills, their decades of science and research guide the company in creating nutrition that's a step ahead so pets and pet parents can enjoy every day together. As the U.S.'s number one veterinarian recommended pet food brand, knowledge is Hills' first ingredient. With 220-plus veterinarians, Ph.D. nutritionists, and food scientists working to develop breakthrough innovations in pet health. Hills Prescription Diet, Therapeutic Nutrition, plus the company's everyday foods, Hills Science Diet, Hills Healthy Advantage, and Hills Bioactive Recipe are sold at vet clinics and pet specialty retailers worldwide. For more information about Hills, their products, or their forward-thinking approach to nutrition, visit them at hillspet.com or hillsvet.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by La Mega KC, Kansas City Spanish radio station. Listen online or at 100.5 FM. We're also sponsored by our friends at 1KC Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the KC Metro or online at 1kcradio.org. We've got our very own Scott Cotter on the podcast to talk to us about the changes we've been through in the past few years and what exactly it is we do in the communications department. Coming up on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Sierra Howe. And I'm Dave Shapiro, and welcome indeed to the show. We are coming to you from the endless well of compassion known as the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services. Sierra. Yes. We're in the studio together. We are. I missed it, but I I was also like sweating over here because I haven't recorded in such a long time. (laughs) So... No. no worries. No, this is this is great. This is going to be good. We're going to do a great job. Yes. Okay. How have you been, though? Oh, gosh. I've been sick. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. I don't know why I asked. No, that's great. But chatter. We're, we're glad to have you back and glad that you're feeling better, obviously. I'm so glad to be back. I did have the COVID. It was gross. Um, it was like a cold. It was fine. Hopefully you don't get it twice like I did, though. I, d- I don't. I don't want it twice. <laughs> I don't want it again, ever, period. I was... Right. It was awful being quarantined inside my house. I did not like that one. It's not fun. Mm -mm, mm -mm. But you, I guess you got to spend time with your cats. I did. On the bright, that's the plus side. That is the plus side of it. But we've got some pet news, so take it away. All right, here we go. It's not uncommon nowadays for folks to have cameras in their homes for security reasons, but also, in the case of pet owners, to keep an eye on their furry friends and make sure they're not getting into trouble. The problem? Well, you got to have cameras in every room if you want to see everything. So you can come home to the mess in the bedroom, but not necessarily know the who or why or how of the situation. Until now, that is, because researchers at the Georgia Institute of Technology have created a device they call PetTrack. It uses ultra-wideband radio wireless sensors to locate where a pet is in a building and accelerometers to tell whether the pet is sitting or moving. It works through walls and doors, and all it needs is small anchor units in the house and a little device on the collar. It works for up to 100 feet and allows the user to monitor their pet in real time using a smartphone app. Accelerometers first found their popularity in the Nintendo Wii controller, where they helped the system orient the wireless controllers in physical space, including how quickly they were being moved. This works pretty much the same way, orienting them so well that you can even tell if your pet is standing, sitting, or lying down. Can you tell if your cat is about to throw your Apple Watch in a water bowl? I would imagine you'd see some (laughs) indicator of that, yeah. Why, do you have some personal experience with this? Um, Yes, sadly. (laughs) Plus side, 
my Apple Watch still works, but I was on vacation in Mexico and my cat was home by himself and he was real bored. So I'm not that mad at him, but he did go get my Apple Watch off of the charger and drowned it in the water bowl. (laughs) He also opened up my sock drawer on my dresser and was playing with my socks in the water bowl as well. So, I do have cameras in my house, one in the kitchen, so technically I could have seen it, but I wouldn't have been able to see if he was in my bedroom. Right. (sighs) I love him so much, but he was just a real jerk for that. That's that's what happens. They act out. They're lonely. They don't, they they miss their people. I wonder if eventually, though, that this could turn into, or... um, eventually be connected with a microchip because you know a lot of people think that a microchip is a, is GPS. a gps and this one can only what did it say 100 feet 100, yeah, like 100 meter feet from the anchor device but if they're starting this i feel like down the line that's a possibility which I would be so. really cool yeah and i think eventually probably we'll have some sort of uh, like my guess is some kind of collar with a sensor on it, like the ones we're talking about here, but then also mm-hmm. a camera so you can see what the pet is seeing. And that's, exactly. That's my guess probably. But we have a sweet story to wrap pet news up with. We're not a rescue or a shelter, but we do have so much respect for the work they do because of stories like this one. We can't admire Knox County Humane Society in Illinois enough for going above and beyond to make sure one of their long-term residents feels loved every night while she waits patiently for her new family. Sandy, a 10-year-old senior pit bull, was surrendered to their shelter a, a year ago after her owner fell ill and had to relocate. And every night, she gets tucked in by a staff member before they close the shelter. Kanisha Martin, a staff member who has grown close to Sandy during her stay there, says she thinks it's just something she was used to at her previous home and that she also loves car rides and making new friends with everyone. Shelter director Aaron Buckmaster says that even though Sandy is a giant sweetheart, her story is an example of how hard it can be for older pets to find a home, and she's right. She hopes people learn about Sandy and realize just how great older dogs can be, and we personally would like to give a shout out to all of the shelters for taking on that responsibility of loving and caring for every pet during a scary and confusing time for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you saw the pictures, man. It's hard not to just want to give her a giant hug and wrap up in that blanket with her. Yeah. It's hard for me to believe that she's not going to find a home real quick now. Right. Yeah. I know. Because, uh, yeah, and that's the thing. It is It is very hard with the older dogs, and it really speaks to uh, – I don't want to get into it too much. It speaks to the kind of the consumer's mindset of like, we want the new thing. We want the young. No, thing, And they state the... that in the article, people fight over all of the cute puppies that right. are in the shelter and they're gone instantly. But then, I mean, I'm sure Sandy is just a giant puppy herself, but people right. don't see that. Nope. Yep. They, they see, they see the, mm-hmm. the it's the same with, dog. with pet stores and puppy mills. It's hard. Yeah. But Agreed. one thing I wanted to point it out, point out was that, the staff at this humane society didn't have to do that. They right. went out of their way to make sure that she yep. was comfortable and loved. And yeah. It's Unsung just a heroes, sweet story. That's what I say. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's amazing to see the amount of care and dedication. Um, you know, we, we see pets, they come in, they go out. We care obviously tons, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine being in a situation where you've got this dog. That's an older dog and is getting passed by day after day. And after multiple. Day. Of yeah. them probably in the right. same shelter. So kudos to every shelter and rescue worker out there. Yeah, for real. 
Um, I tell you what, why don't we go grab our boss and bring him in here? I'm excited for this one. Today we have our boss, Communications Director Scott Cotter, to talk about what our department does to keep pets and people together, but also how that has transformed over the past five years to help more than 35,000 pets. Scott, it's very nice to meet you for the first time ever. Welcome to Pet Resource Radio. Right, right. Yeah. What was your name again? <laughs> You've been the Communications Director for five years now. Can you explain to everyone what exactly it is that you do? Well, since we just met, Sierra, you probably don't know it, even though we've been working together for more than two years now. Has Almost it been? three. Almost three. Wow. Who's um, um, Yeah, so you know what we do, but maybe, uh, maybe everybody else doesn't. So really, um, our job is to make sure the world knows what uh, wonderful work is happening here at Pet Resource Center. And that means just like every channel there is where people engage uh, others and organizations in the world, that's where we communicate the things that we're doing. So social, social media, of course, um, uh, yeah, websites, we do newsletters and emails to people. Um, we do some radio, we do interviews with the media from time to time. So just when, in whatever way people are, are engaging the world around them, that's where we go and tell them the wonderful work that's happening here. And how much our clients love their pets, because that's a, a for, big part. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and you know this, um, at, like every week we meet people who tell us like their pets are the thing that keeps them going. So, and I and I can relate. I mean, I'm, I'm crazy about my animals and they're an, in, an integral part of my family. And why is your work important to our goal of keeping pets and people together? Well, it really comes down to how powerful the human-animal bond is. It's, it's basically life-changing. And, and pets are family members. They save lives. And I think my reference point for that is a gentleman that we work with named Josh and his dog, Lucy. Josh struggles um, quite a bit. And what he has told me before is that sometimes I can't pick myself up, but she does it for me. And that's pretty common. I mean, we see, we see and meet a lot of people who are really dependent on their animals to help them keep moving forward. And even if you're not, animals just change our lives for the better. There's no, there's no two ways about it. I mean, you know that. You're... You've got a whole little family unit over there with kids and dogs and cats, and, and it's just they bring happiness and joy. Exactly, and so we want to make sure that everyone else out there knows that when it comes down to it, if you can't afford services or resources or you just need a friend, we're here to be that. And so what do you wish people understood in general about the nonprofit animal welfare world? It is never-ending. It's just never ending. There's always need. It never stops. Um, it's tough. Sometimes it's really hard. And what you find in this business, um, which is not really a business at all, but, but what you find in it is a lot of really dedicated, wonderful people 
who work their backsides off to help animals and help the people who love those animals. And they're just compassionate, kind, considerate, and sacrifice a lot to make the world a better place. They really do. And how different does the organization look today versus where it was five years ago when you first started? It's it's crazy how much um, Pet Resource Center has grown and changed. Um, Michelle offered me a job. It was it's five years ago right now, really. And um, I was the 18th employee to be hired on here. We were serving anywhere between 12 and 14,000 pets a year at that time. And now here we are five years later. Uh, we have 48 employees and this year we're going to probably top 40,000 animals. And that means um, everything, everything we do. That's, that's providing supplies like pet food, that's vaccinations, that's spay and neuter, that's helping with medical issues um, or just education and advice or being on the streets and going out and making sure animals have water to drink when they're outside or knocking on doors and telling people that they need to bring their animals inside because it's too hot or too cold. Um, so it's substantially different and, and we just keep changing and growing to meet the needs of the community. How do you think our marketing efforts have impacted our organization's growth? Well, you know what I like to say is if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to tweet about it, did it really happen? Um, it's kind of a kind of a twist on an old saying about trees, and if nobody heard it, did it really happen? But um, you get the point. Really, what we're trying to do is communicate all the ways that the people here, this staff, this wonderful staff, work with animals and change their lives. And um, so that that just means when we're communicating the things that are being done here to the rest of the world, clients and donors, that means. We get donations, which we need, and then that lets people know that we're here to help. So that's that's why we're here. And what's on the horizon for us as an organization? How are we growing? Oh, gosh. <laughs> mm. Well, we just announced a capital campaign, so we're raising funds to uh, update this building and expand into the building behind us. The grooming project's over there. Uh, and they're moving away soon because they're growing and we're going to move into that because we need the space. Um, we're also going to expand into a building down the road a little bit um, for our outreach and education portions of our efforts. Uh, anyway, we're, I mean, if you come by here and you want to take a tour and we always invite people over, come see what we're doing here and see what we're about. Uh, I, we're just kind of crawling all over each other. There's no space for humans. We've got resources and supplies in here. There's no space for that. So it's pretty packed in here. So that's a big thing that we're doing. And the idea is that we need to be prepared for the next 20 years because the need is there. We just keep growing. And eventually we believe we'll have the space, resources, and staff to help 60,000 pets a year. That would be so awesome. Yes, it would. I mean, the need's there. It's always there. Yeah, we meet new people every day. Yeah, for sure. So, so we want we want people to know that we're here to help, but we also want people to know that we'd 
appreciate their help as we try exactly. to grow and impact the community in more positive ways. Well, Scotter, thank you for being on Pet Resource Radio, and I'll let you get back to your work. Hey, it's nice to meet you, Sierra. Uh, whatever it is you do there, I, I hope you really enjoy it. <laughs> and maybe I should say thank you for all that you do for our department. Mm, that would be nice Maybe I should me. say thank you for all you do for our department. <laughs> The 28th is World Rabies Day, and you know, we just happen to be in the business of preventing rabies, among other things. So let's chat about rabies, what it is, and what it does. Rabies is the oldest infectious disease we know of and possibly the first recognized zoonotic disease, which means that it can spread from animals to human. It's spread by mammals through saliva. Rabies kills around 59,000 people around the world per year, most of these deaths occurring in children under 15, and most of them from dog bites in countries where vaccination programs aren't developed enough to stop the spread of it. People here in the U.S. get pretty laissez-faire about some of these infectious diseases, but it's really only because of robust, affordable vaccination programs that we've been able to make the kind of progress we have. Now, that doesn't mean that we're home-free here in the U.S., far from it, in fact. The most common domestic animal to be infected by rabies in this country is the cat. Surprised? Well, here's how it breaks down. Apart from free roaming, feral cats that haven't been vaccinated, a lot of folks don't get their own cats vaccinated because they're indoor only. We hear it here, and it's an unfortunately common idea that because they're indoor, they're safe, but they're not. Let me tell you a little story. I have two indoor-only cats. My apartment is on the second floor. During the warmer months in the evening, bats swoop around my little patio. My partner and I like to sit out there when it's nice and just enjoy the evening. The bats swoop past us, and it's disconcerting at first. But hey, you know, they're eating the mosquitoes. It's no big deal. It's chill. Well, one time I heard one of my cats playing with a toy, except that it wasn't a toy. It was a bat that had just managed to get in when we opened the door. We got the bat out safely, but if my cats weren't vaccinated, it could have been a much different scenario, especially since Squeaks is so sheltered that she was practically climbing on the bat. It's a death sentence if your pet ends up with rabies, so it's a scary thing. This is why vaccination is essential and nothing to fool with. In the U.S., how protected a community is from rabies is determined by two things— availability of vaccination programs, and animal control services. Unfortunately, these are two areas that don't always function well on their own, much less together. But aha, see, we understand this here at PRCKC. Having affordable vaccinations and doing off-site clinics in vet deserts helps us get the community protected better. Working with animal control to help folks whose pet whose pets aren't vaccinated, get them vaccinated, and working with the community and feral cat caretakers to get free roaming cats fixed and vaccinated creates more and more barriers to the spread of rabies. And that's important because there are some pets that have vaccine reactions or and or immune system problems who legitimately can't get vaccinated. That's where herd immunity comes in. Herd immunity acts as a buffer for those pets. The more pets that are vaccinated, the fewer vectors there are for the disease to spread. That means the likelihood of those unprotected pets coming into contact with the virus is decreased. And that's a good thing for everybody. And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks again to our boss for not firing us and for being on the show today. We're a nonprofit trying to keep pets and people together, and you can help. Just go to prckc.org, and you can donate, volunteer, shop our online store, and more. 
If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting application, please rate us and leave us a review. That helps people find us. And for all the latest news, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at PRR Podcast on both platforms. So tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as Amy Sedaris said, sometimes losing a pet is more painful than losing a human. Because in the case of the pet, you are not pretending to love it. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, produced and hosted by Sierra Howe and David Shapiro, written, recorded, mixed, and mastered by yours truly. Music by Hazel Rob Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Rob Musical Industries.